Welcome to you wherever you are at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for these few moments this weekend. Before we jump into our teaching series, I do want to make a little recruiting pitch. Uh, You know, there's a a team uh, of people in place here at the church that uh, we're recruiting um, the next wave uh, of uh, uh, people who will carry that ministry forward. And uh, it's called Prayer Teams. And, uh, you know, uh, in in the game of uh, football, uh, there are what they call special teams. And this is not the offense or the defense. It's the the special teams, the the kicking units, the the punting units, the the, uh, field goal teams. And I remember hearing a coach once just before the team was about to hit the field for a really big game. And his last words uh, to the assembled group were, uh, special teams? be special and uh, because he knew that the outcome of the game was going to depend on their contribution well uh, we're recruiting for prayer teams and uh, prayer teams really are a special team here in the church if uh, you have a desire to uh, help bring god's best about in our congregation and what god's doing here we'd like to hear from you just send us a note office at arlington fm mention prayer team and we will get back to you well, uh, as we jump into our teaching, do want to mention the U version to you. It's a free app. Uh, you can download it on your phone or your device. Find all kinds of great reading plans, different translations of the Bible. And uh, this weekend, if you go to events, Arlington FM, you'll find a complete set of notes for today's message. Well, uh, we're in a series called Future Church. And it's a look at uh, what is ahead for the church, what's around the corner. What is God doing in the church? And the invitation is get used to different because God is doing something new. And in fact, here would be a good definition of the future church. It's what the church will be like when God has made it ready for what's next. See, God doesn't lead a static and unchanging church. We're constantly being pruned, being sifted, Uh, being refined, being prepared to become what God has in store for us. In fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at John, the beloved disciple. In other words, he was really close to Jesus Christ. And he is given a vision of the future church coming down out of heaven. And uh, as John describes this vision of the church, uh, he sees it as a bride that is wonderfully prepared to, uh, for her groom. You know, I have the privilege uh, next weekend of officiating a wedding ceremony, and uh, it's uh, for my neighbor's kids. And uh, it was really a privilege to be asked if I would uh, officiate this ceremony. And over the last several months, as I've gotten to know these young people, uh, it's just reminded me of the kind of preparation that goes into this lifelong companionship Uh, the covenant of marriage. And and John uses that picture and says, this is really what God's doing in the church is he's preparing this group of people to have this amazing eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, as John describes more of his vision of the future church, he sees a church that has overcome the chaos and the conflict of the world. He sees a church that has learned to live well in the presence of God a church that has been comforted from all of its losses and griefs, but probably most amazing of all, 
John sees the church, uh, he sees this river of life running through God's people in this tree of life growing by the side of the river, and he makes this amazing uh, observation. The leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nations. And so as John is given this revelation of the future church, he sees it as a source of healing for all of the world's brokenness. And uh, in response to that, uh, we've taken this simple but profound posture. It's really a prayer. And it says, Heavenly Father, what are you up to today? And can I be a part of that? Uh, well, here's God's answer to that prayer. Yes, you can. You can if you are willing to come on God's terms. And last week we saw if we're willing to lay down our assumptions, our preconceived notions, our religious agendas, if we're willing to set those aside for God's plan, then we can be a part of what God is doing in the world. In fact, last week, uh, we, we saw these words that were originally uh, penned by King David, and over a thousand years later, were taken up by Jesus to define his ministry. Here is what, uh, what uh, David wrote in Psalm 40, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And then I said, here I am, God. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is written within my heart. Uh, see, David learned and Jesus affirmed that God isn't interested in his uh, church or people of faith doing religious activities that keep them occupied, interested, or entertained. God is raising up a church that is joyfully and wholeheartedly dedicated to doing his will, to accomplishing his purpose in the world. And see, that's what Jesus did perfectly. He was the prototype, and uh, Jesus broke the barriers. He, he broke the threshold and made a way for us to live in alignment with the will of God. Well, this weekend, uh, we're going to come to another ancient psalm uh, from the book of Psalms, but this one is not written by King David. Uh, it's Psalm 44, and uh, it's written uh, by a group of guys called the Sons of Korah. And uh, in fact, uh, really, the reason we're zeroing in on this psalm is uh, Paul the Apostle, probably the greatest uh, one who carried out the mission that Jesus entrusted to people. Uh, Paul takes a, a statement from this psalm we'll look at uh, today, and he uses it to define the mission of the church. And uh, that's important for our series on future church. Well, uh, the sons of Korah uh, have an, a pretty interesting uh, family line. In fact, uh, if you the first uh, time the name Korah shows up in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, uh, a guy named Korah led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron and really against God. And uh, the outcome of that rebellion was not good for the, the family of Korah. In fact, uh, we're told that the ground opened up and swallowed them up uh, to put an end to their rebellion. And uh, so how would you like to have that in your family history? Talk about skeletons in the closet. But uh, as is so often the case, uh, God is a redeemer. 
God takes the things that are broken, the things that are not, and he uses them for good. And so uh, this uh, group of uh, Korites, uh, actually uh, three of them, uh, one named uh, Haman, he was the grandson of the great prophet Samuel. And uh, he penned Psalm 88, a beautiful psalm, and he was known for his wisdom. And then there's Asaph, one of the leaders of David's choir. And uh, he was known as a great musician uh, with uh, incredible insight. And then finally, there was Ethan, uh, one of David's chief musicians as well. And he served as a prophet. He spoke clearly for God. So you put these three musical, lyrical, prophetic guys together, and uh, they write Psalm 44, among others. And uh, this psalm opens, they're bragging on God. They're saying how good it is, how amazing it is that God helps his people win victories in their lives. Uh, they say in uh, Psalm 44, verse 1, We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. And uh, he, they go on to say, with your hand, you drove out the nations. You planted our ancestors. And then this uh, insight into God's working uh, on behalf of his people. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand. It was your arm. And it was the light of your face, for you loved them. And uh, I would ask you a question as you hear those words. Would you like to experience God like that? Uh, would you like to see God work mightily on your behalf in the battles that you face? Well, I think most of us would say, yes, uh, I, I do want that uh, for my life. I do want to see uh, victories coming about in my life, not so much because of my strategies or my brilliance or my uh, abilities, although we apply those, but most of us want to see God working with us working for us, uh, doing things that we couldn't bring about in our own, uh, in our marriages, uh, in raising up our children to live with faith, hope, and love, uh, in, in our careers, wanting to be blessed and not only provide, but to be generous in the world. Uh, we want to see God win victories on our behalf, and the sons of Korah did as well. So they heard about God's working with their ancestors, and they said, we want that. We claim that. In fact, they go on. They say, you are my king, God. Uh, you are the one who decrees victories for Jacob. And through you, we, not just our ancestors, but through you, we push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. And then uh, very similar to what they heard of their ancestors, they said, uh, I will put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. See, uh, what they're declaring is that uh, we are claiming the God of history as our God. We are claiming the God who worked miracles for our ancestors. We're making that our own. And uh, I would ask you this question how many of you do that? Uh, or have you done that? Have you said, you know, the God I've heard great things about, I'm claiming for myself. The God who works fullness in people's lives, healing for their brokenness, freedom from their addictions. I'm claiming that God as my God. 
And uh, it's not going to be just my own strength or my own ingenuity. It's going to be God at work in me that brings me into the full life that I aspire to. Well, uh, I would say if you do that, uh, good for you. Uh, that's, I believe that's part of what God invites us to. In fact, when the Bible says, be it unto you according to your faith, I think that's exactly what it is declaring. And uh, I love this, this uh, promise from the book of Corinthians. In fact, it says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so we can appropriate. Uh, but here's a good question. Uh, what happens when you're believing God for victories, but you're not seeing them? What happens when you're hoping in God's uh, intervention and deliverance, but you're not experiencing God's intervention and God's deliverance? What happens when you're waiting for God to show up, but it seems like he's overdue? In fact, maybe he's even lost track of your issues and your conflicts and the battles that you're contending with. Well, that's exactly uh, where the sons of Korah come to in their psalm. They're bragging about how God worked in their ancestors. They're bragging about, uh, they're claiming God's work in their lives, but they're not seeing it. And so uh, here's a good question. Uh, how do you cope when God doesn't come through for you? I think we all face that from time to time in our lives. How do you cope when God doesn't seem to be coming through for you? And that's exactly where the psalm goes. In verse 9, uh, they write, But now, God, you've rejected us. You've humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. In fact, you made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. Uh, you gave us up to be devoured like sheep, We've been scattered among the nations. Uh, you know, that's, a, that's an amazing turn in this psalm. Uh, we've seen God work in our, in our history. We've claimed God's work, powerful work in our lives. Uh, but then we've come to a place where it's quite different. But now, uh, you might even say that, but now, uh, now in this season, now with these battles, now with these difficulties, it doesn't seem like we're experiencing God's intervention and God's victories, and it becomes very significant. How do we deal with that? Uh, the psalmist goes on to say, you've made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and the derision of those around us. Uh, this is getting pretty bad. You've made us a byword among the nations, and the people, when they think about us, they shake their heads and say, poor souls, and uh, they come to this place, I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame. Well, what's going on uh, in these sons of Korah? You know, is their family history uh, pulling them away from their confidence in God? Uh, well, now they try to sort it out. Uh, why is it that our experience of God seems to have changed so dramatically? And they say in verse 20, if we had forgotten the name of our God, or spread out our hands to a foreign god, wouldn't God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of our heart? And see, uh, they're trying to assess blame. Uh, who's to blame for this new experience of God that is not like what we had in the past? And uh, they're literally doing a heart check, which is a good thing. They're taking 
a self-inventory. Did we forget about the name of God? Have we reached for other gods to uh, meet our needs and and, uh, give us strength? God would certainly know that if we had. And then they make uh, this rather amazing statement. Uh, Yet, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And as they're uh, trying to decipher why it is they've come to a place where it looks like God isn't doing powerful things on their behalf, they come up with really a a revelation thought. Uh, Maybe... Just maybe there's a greater purpose in play here than our own personal victories. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And, you know, that's a, that's a really a novel possibility that the sons of Korah come to is in our difficulties when it seems like God isn't doing miraculous things to bring about victory in our lives, maybe there's something different in play. And they, they say, for your sake, we are being uh, led to death or uh, presented with death and disappointment all day long. Uh, you know, this gave rise uh, to a truth that eventually led to the birth and uh, the coming of the Messiah. And the truth was this. Uh, that, that God was going to send a suffering servant uh, rather than a victorious, plundering uh, king. God was going to send one who suffered on behalf of his people. And it would be through his suffering that they would be made whole, they would be made well. Well, what does this have to do with the future church? Uh, well, here's the key. The apostle Paul takes this very statement Uh, For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. The Apostle Paul uh, takes that statement from the sons of Korah's psalm, and he applies it to the mission of the church. Uh, Here's what Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians. Uh, As we go about what God has called us to do, he says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So as Paul begins to describe the mission of the church, he says we're not proclaiming how good we are or how victorious our lives are. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord, and that's the highest designation he could possibly give to the person of Jesus Christ. And he said, uh, uh, we're your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6 For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In other words, uh, the treasure that we have, Paul says, what we have to give away is that we've seen that God has completely revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we make that known uh, to a world that is desperate for God's intervention Uh, Paul begins to describe that in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. In other words, imperfect vessels contain this amazing treasure to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Uh, We, on the other hand, uh, here's our reality. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. 
We are at times perplexed. We don't know what's next. We don't know the best choices to make. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not left alone or abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. You know this idea of having treasure in earthen vessels. Uh, I was reminded once of an of a attempt the little church I was a part of made to reach beyond ourselves. And uh, we took our music team. We went to a local park on a beautiful Saturday. Lots of people. We started doing music, did some contemporary songs, some sacred songs. And, uh, you know, somewhere uh, in that presentation, uh, one of us was going to get up and say a few words about why we were doing what we were doing in this public setting. And uh, it came to a point, you know, timing is everything. It felt like just the right song had finished. Good group of people gathered around. And uh, I chose that moment to walk to the mic and uh, proclaim uh, what it is we were about. And just as I stood up and began to walk towards the mic, uh, one of the musicians bumped into a, a large container of McDonald's orange drink. And uh, when he bumped into it, it... Uh, tipped over right in front of the microphone. A tsunami, tsunami of orange drink flooded the area, and uh, I quickly averted my direction and walked the other way. And, uh, you know, uh, we have this treasure in imperfect vessels. And uh, here's what uh, Paul is putting his finger on now, that uh, how do we get this treasure out so that people can see that God has shown up in the person of Jesus Christ uh, verse 10, he says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That's a profound statement. Those of us who believe in Jesus, who follow him and want to be on task with his mission, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. Uh, verse 11 for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. And so then this conclusion, that death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And so I would ask you this question, if, if you're a person of faith, if you're a follower of Christ, uh, here's the question. How do you feel? about always being given over to death so that others might live. Uh, that's really a, a watershed uh, perspective. Uh, how do I feel about uh, daily being given over to difficulties and setbacks and dilemmas that aren't easily solved? How do I feel about that, being given over to death so that others might live? See, uh, being given over to death is the ultimate position of servanthood. Uh, there's literally nothing more that you can do than give yourself completely for others. Uh, it's uh, choosing to get to the back of the line. It's choosing to say, I was wrong. It's choosing to say, well, uh, let me try to understand you better. Uh, see, uh, here's the truth. Uh, until we're willing to take that position of servanthood uh, to sinners, to broken people who are distant from and desperate for God. Uh, we cannot be the revelation of Jesus to them. Uh, hear that again. Until we're willing 
to take that place of ultimate servanthood, even to the point of giving ourselves up. For people that are far from God, uh, we cannot be the revelation of Jesus Christ to them. The two are mutually exclusive. Uh, We cannot judge and condemn the world and lay down our lives to save the world. We must do one or the other. That's why when Jesus came, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Uh, So uh, here's my proclamation of the future church. Uh, When God has prepared the church for the next season, when it's ready for what is coming next in our world, uh, when we are, uh, have been shaped and fashioned by God for what is next, when the cry of our hearts is, Heavenly Father, what are you up to today? Can I be a part of that? Uh, that church uh, will no longer focus on itself. That'll be a hallmark of the future church. It will no longer be focused on itself. And, uh, you know, that's such a, a dramatic change Uh, Think about the church as it is or as it's been. I call it the consumer church's focus. And and notice the focus. It's on our programs. It's on our personalities. It's on our places. And it's on our people. And uh, when we approach the church that way, uh, it may be a delight to us, but it's not on task with the mission that Jesus has called and given his life for and is shaping and preparing the church to be his presence in the world that needs his life. I want to end uh, by uh, taking you to a strategic passage in John's gospel, and I'll set the scene. Uh, it's, the, it's the Passover feast is at hand, and uh, you know the central uh, item in the Passover feast is the, uh, the sacrificial lamb. And it goes back to when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt and a lamb had to be sacrificed and the door uh, put over the doorposts that the angel of death or the blood put over the doorposts so the angel of death would pass over that house. And that Jesus now steps into that role. It it makes it clear he's the real Passover lamb. And uh, at this festival, In Jerusalem, we're told in John 12, verse 20, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they had this request, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And so Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And so the point is, uh, the message of Christ's coming, God visiting the world through the person of Jesus is now going beyond uh, Israel, It's uh, reached the nations, and the Greeks now come seeking uh, this one who has come to reveal God. And so Jesus replies, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Uh, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So, uh, you know, Paul would say we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and it comes out as we're daily being given over to death. Well, Jesus, uh, instead of uh, treasure in earthen vessels, he says we have this life. It's like a kernel, uh, and it uh, contains globe-changing potential. Uh, Think of a single seed becoming uh, orchards as far as you can can see there's that kind of potential in the life of jesus 
And he says, look, unless I'm willing to die, I remain alone. And so it's time. It's time to glorify uh, God's purpose in the Son. And we think, well, that's great, Jesus. I'm so glad that you were willing to do that for me 